Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Genesee Valley Church's online podcast. GVC is a non-denominational church in Flint, Michigan, and our mission is simple. To love God, love people, and love life. I know that you will be blessed by the message and the words that God has for you today. Now, here's Pastor Tony. number two you doing okay so we started last week a series called the walking dead and again the whole premise behind it was just really uh, uh platforming or using the platform of a series that is well known between many of just uh, the tv show called the walking dead and we said that it really mirrors the gospel story right and so as we looked at that last week we began to see that uh the family of god began to grow those that were walking in darkness, those that were apart from Christ, those that were actually the walking dead. If you're apart from Christ, that's really how God sees you. And so we see just last week through decisions that we've made, things that you've done, the family of God has expanded and has increased. Can you say amen? Now, just with the title itself, The Walking Dead, it denotes something or it brings to mind or gives us or paints a picture, if you will, that we're simply going through the motions and existing but not experiencing life, right? How many have ever felt that way that you just exist but you're not experiencing life? Well, today what I want to talk about and just challenge us in is in the area of living life in the area of our homes in our marriages, in our families. Just like I said, last week, the family of God expanded and increased. But you know, even though we're Christians, our family going through the motions, our marriages can be going through the motions of simply existing, but not really experiencing the life that Jesus came to give. How many of you know that the life that he came to give for eternal life, he wants us to experience it in every area of our life. Marriages, family, occupations, come on, he wants us to know that life. And so I'm kind of a numbers guy, just kind of a statistic guy that just kind of helps paint a picture. You know, if, if, you, if you know me, I'm kind of a real black and white guy. You know, it's either this way or it's that way. It's either right or it's wrong, and right is always my way. So anyway, you know, and so I, <laughs> the wife says amen. And so I want to just give you some statistics just to help paint a picture concerning the modern-day family. So concerning the family, two parents in first marriages, we're going to look at the difference between 1960 and current time. The reason that I chose 1960 is because in the 60s, the the court systems and our legal system made some major changes within our country from a faith-based standpoint that has made a major impact for the years and the decades to come. And so concerning two parents in first marriages. In 1960, 73% were that. In 1980, only 61%. And in 2014, only 46%. Did you see the digression? Now, concerning single parents, in 1960, there was only 9%. In 1980, only 19%. In 2014, 26%. Concerning families or parents that cohabitated together, that weren't married, but they had children together and they were living together, in 1960 there was no stats. 
1980, there was no stats. But in 2014, it was 7%. For those children that were born outside of marriage in 1960, 7%. In 2014, 40%. Come on, a couple decades makes a big difference, doesn't it? Listen to this. In 2013, 26% of people ages 18 to 32 were married. But in 1960, it was well over half, 65%. In 1960, women ages uh, uh, 15 to 24 accounted for 40% of mothers with infants. By 2011, the number had dropped to 22%. Less than half the children that are living in America today are not in the home or living with traditional family values. Now, that's just the family. But obviously, you know, finances affect a family, right? Come on, can anybody relate to that? Sometimes money, the lack of it, can either put a smile on your face or wipe it off. But financially, 1960, credit card debts were almost zero. Today, the average person carries a $6,500 credit card debt. In 1960, 100,000 people filed for bankruptcy. In 2010, 1.6 million. Now, you thought the number 100,000 was a big number, but then you just get a couple more decades. 1.6 million. Concerning our faith, in 1960, only 2% of Americans had no religious affiliation. Today, 14% of people say, I have no faith system at all. Now, our culture has changed. There's things such as technology that has impacted our family. And in this modern era, one of the major contributing factors in our family unit that has brought about differences is what we call social media. Does anybody know what that is? I mean, just think about that. Social media is a common vocabulary word nowadays, but if you was to go back a couple decades ago and you mentioned the word social media, they would say, social what? But social media is such a huge part of our culture. But listen to what studies have said. Studies have shown that social media, uh, they correlate with lower self-control. Studies have shown that it can also cause to overeating. People are more affected by peer pressure. People's self-worth is lower. Feelings of loneliness, frustration, anger. There's a false sense of connection. They've opened themselves up to being bullied through social media. It's even proved that there's a decrease in productivity. And then listen to this one. (laughs) It has created a disability to think independently. Come on, we're seeing our culture, our family, our children, the home unit being impacted by all kinds of things. And generation after generation after generation, it is consistently being whittled away. Concerning social media, the average teen spends two hours and 20 minutes a day on social media. Come on, two hours and 20 minutes. 
Now, the studies show us this, that the family is doing more. Now, listen. The family is doing more, but studies show us this, that only 49 minutes out of a day do families actually spend quality time. That's staggering. That means to actually spend quality time together, our children have us beat three to one on social media. And we wonder why there's a breakdown. Come on, are you tracking with me today? Now, again, not for to paint a doom and gloom story. That's just the studies. That's just the stats. Can you say amen? So let me remind you of this, that concerning the church, the family of God, the Bible tells us this, that we're in the world, but we're not of it. I'll say that again. We're in the world, but we're not of it. So that means we've got to coexist. There's all these things that are going on, but it doesn't have to frame our world. It can frame everybody else's world, but concerning us, the Bible says, listen, you're going to be in this world, you're going to live on this earth, you're going to be seeing things, and it might affect you a little bit, but listen, it doesn't have to frame who you are or define who you are because you're in the world, but you're not of it. And then the Bible says two very profound statements that really just stirs me up. And the Bible makes these statements. It says, before Jesus comes, number one, before Jesus returns, how many of you know he's coming back to get us? How many of you are praying, come quickly? <laughs> yeah, come on. I mean, the older that I get, the more ready I am. Like, Jesus, I'm ready. And so there's two profound things. Before Jesus comes back, the Bible says that the earth will return back to the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. Is that looking very... Come on. Are we seeing that today? So Jesus is coming soon. But then he also says this, before Jesus comes, it will return back to the days as of Noah, where every person fought, even the children. Come on. He says, that's what it's going to look like before I come. And when we see the story of Noah, what we see is that as sin abounded, God says, I'm going to come in with my love, with my mercy, and with my grace, and I'm going to make a way of escape so that people can start over again. You realize that the flood was not punishment. The flood was love coming in to rescue humanity, right? And so the Bible says this over in Romans chapter 5. It says, as sin abounds... How much more shall the grace of God abound? So all those stats that I shared with you, that's a reality. Those are facts. But there is a higher truth that says God's grace is coming in. Like a flood, he's coming in these last days to be made known and to be made real and it's not a matter of us waiting for revival. Revival is here. He's saying, I'm just waiting on you. He's waiting to pour out his spirit for, for us to simply say, God, I'm ready. Come on, do it here in GVC. Do it in my home. Do it in my marriage. Do it in my family. Can you say amen? God's wanting us to begin to experience his grace. But here's the thing. Whenever God talks about grace in the Bible, he's talking about supernatural help. It's not just a real churchy word. It's not just something that we sing about, amazing grace. When we speak or see in the Bible concerning the grace of God, how much more does the grace of God abound as we see the days being filled with sin 
God says they're supernatural help to help you in these days. Come on, how many of you know that if you was just to do it by yourself, it would be a challenge, it would be hard, you'd want to just give up. But we're in this world, not of it. Why? Because we've got supernatural help where God says, come on, I'll help you in your marriages. I'll help you in your homes. I'll help you with your family and with your children. God just simply wants to help us. Amen? Now, just to help paint a picture to maybe understand this grace that is available. How many of you have ever been whitewater rafting or canoeing? Anybody? A few of you have? Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced this as you were canoeing or whitewater rafting, but there's times when there is a split in the river or the water, right? And typically, one of those offshoots are the ones that are more turbulent and more more troubled waters, if you will, right? And then there's another one that's a little more peaceful and a little bit more calm. Now, depending on where you want to go, if you're not wanting to go down the rough water and you're wanting to stay safe and you want to go where it's calm and where it's collected and where you know that you can stay within the boat, you have to make a concerted effort to get to the calm waters because where it's turbulent means that the water's moving faster. And therefore, there is a natural pull to pull you that way. And in this world, there is a natural pull to pull you into the turbulent stress and stuff of life. So you'll have to make an effort to get over to where the calm waters are. And that's where the rub is, is because right there where the split is, there is what is just churning and turning. And therefore, you'll have to paddle extra hard to get over and get through to get to that place. But when you get there, oh, there's calm. There's peace. And so listen, when it comes to this life, you're going to begin to feel the pressures of life. And if you just throw your hands up and give up, you'll get sucked right into the mess of your life or to the mess of this world, and it will affect your life. Or if you'll say, you know what? I'm not going to just give up. I'm not just going to lay down. I'm going to do what's necessary to get me into the place to experience peace and the supernatural grace of God in my life. Amen. Come on, how many of you are fighters in here? Anybody? That's just my makeup. You know, and, and... you know, as, as leaders, many times what you hear is that you attract people like yourself. And so just by, by default, my, my nature is just one to fight. I can tend to be a little bit obstinate. Don't ask my wife about that. I can just be a little bit stubborn and hard-headed because it's like, well, if you tell me no, I'm going to tell you yes. You tell me, you tell me don't go, I'll say, well, I'll go. You tell me it's up, I'll tell you it's down. That's just kind of my nature. If you get up in my face, I'm going to get up in your face. It's just the way that I'm made. And so when the enemy comes knocking and says, I really think it's going to be like that way? Yes, it's going to be that way because God said it's going to be that way. Oh, you really think you're going to have that kind of marriage? Yes, I'm going to have that kind of marriage. Oh, you think your kids are going to be a success? They are because God said so. And I just believe it. But it's not going to come without a fight. We have to purpose to hunker down and say, God, I'm going to choose what you say. And we'll have to exert effort to experience this grace. But the Bible says this, for by grace are you saved through faith. Wherever there is the experience of grace, there always has to be the expression or the effort of faith to experience the grace. Are you hearing me? If we're going to experience the supernatural help 
of God in our homes, in our marriages, with our children, we are going to have to walk by faith in order to experience that. It's not just automatic. And if we don't exert the effort, if we don't purpose to stir up faith to experience that grace, our marriages, our homes, our family will continue to look like the walking dead. They will exist, but they won't experience life. They'll go through the motions, but they'll not have the joys that God desires. How many of you want the joys of the experience of God's perfect plan for your life? Well, concerning this grace, I want to bring to your attention just an expression and actually a story and an example of how this works. And we see in Romans chapter 4, verse 17 through 21, it's speaking of Abraham, and the Bible says that he was the father of faith. And it says, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead. Everybody see that? He gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Verse 18, who contrary to hope, in hope believes so that because of the father, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a 100 years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but he strengthened, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that he who had promised was also able to perform. Come on, that is the expression of faith tapping into the grace of God. He was almost a hundred years old, and God says, you're going to be the father of many nations. And he's like, did you not know how old I was? Before we had this conversation, I'm an old man. How many of you know how Abraham responded when God told him that you're going to be the father of many nations? Anybody know? The Bible says that Abraham laughed. Come on, have you ever laughed at something that God spoke to you? Maybe there's times when you've been reading in the Bible and you're thinking, yeah, right. <laughs> Love to have that, but I don't think I'll ever experience that. Or you see somebody else's marriage, you see somebody else's family, you hear uh, your pastor talking about what God wants us to experience in this, in this life, and you're like, yeah, right. <laughs> Funny one. Funny one, preacher man. <laughs> but what is that? That's simply responding on the natural side of man. Laughing because it seems impossible. But grace takes what is the natural and impossible and makes it possible. Come on, he says, listen, let me slap some super on that natural and let me make it possible because all things are possible to him who believes. There's nothing that is impossible if you can believe. There's nothing that is impossible if you can have the faith because the moment you begin to have faith, grace comes to help. I want the marriage, I want the family, I want my kids to be a certain way, but I don't, no, 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 no. We're going to hook up our faith with what God says. And therefore, grace can come and assist and help to begin to bring that to pass. Now, very similar in Jeremiah chapter 1, we see this. When God was speaking to, uh, excuse me, to Jeremiah, he says this, Be not afraid of their faces. Now, I don't know if you're like I am, but there's times that my wife gets a look on her face. <laughs> and it's like, I'm scared right now. Because I knew I messed up. 
but there's grace to help in that time, right? Now, don't try that. When, when she's looking at you guys, don't say, come on, I plead grace. No, you just might have to take some lumps right then, okay? You, just, <laughs> you have to work it out. But listen, you know what I'm talking about. Don't fear their faces. Come on, when your kids look at you and they look at you like you're just stupid. You don't know anything of what you're talking about. Now, I've got my oldest daughter is 10 years old. She is perfecting that look. I'm thinking at 10 years old. I mean, getting that look and I'm like, oh, whatever. You know, kind of roll the eyes up in the top of the head. It's like, you're only 10. How are you getting so good at that look right now? But don't fear their faces. When you're saying, this is the marriage that I want, and you try to stir it up with your, your spouse, and they're like, whatever. I've been there, done that, not trying it no more. Don't fear their face. Come on, do you know what I'm talking about? That look on their face, your children, your spouse, can put a nail in the coffin real quick. I mean, you just start to open your mouth and that look comes like, oh, dear John, man, this is going to go really good. Come on, does anybody else? I'm going to just tell them off on myself. Am I the only one that gets those kind of looks like, oh, this ain't going to go well. But praise the Lord, it can change. Now, notice what he says here. He says, be not afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set thee, or set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down, to build, and to plant. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Jeremiah, what seeth you? What do you see? And he said, or I said, I see a rod as an almond tree. Then the Lord said unto me, Thou hast well seen. For I will hasten my word to perform it. Amen. In there, there are three things. Now, there's obviously other things that will help. But in there, in that verse, there are three things that will cultivate the grace, the supernatural help of God in your marriage, in your home, in your family, in the life of your children, so that you don't just go through the motions of life, but you can actually begin to experience it. There's things that we can do to stir up the supernatural help of God to begin to help us work in the midst of our family. Can you say amen? amen? Now, for many of us, we might say, I want a different scenery in my life. I want my home to look different. But oftentimes, when we're saying I want a different scenery, it's because we're trying to keep up with the Joneses. Right? They got a new car, they got a new house, they got new stuff, whatever the case might be. The kids are just seeming like they're just doing awesome and our kids are just barely getting by. And oftentimes the scenery that we want changed is a result of what we do comparing ourselves to somebody else. God doesn't want you to compare your life to somebody else. And if you don't know it by now, most people that you compare your life to have gotten that way because they're in debt up to their eyeballs. And they put a smile on their face when they're around you thinking, hey, look at me. And they're home and they're crying because they're barely keeping above water. The choice is ours. So don't look at somebody's life and say, well, look at how well they are. Because once again, God doesn't want us to compare to the Joneses. So what is it that we can do to help stir up our lives, to stir up this grace? Number one, if you remember, Jeremiah said, or God asked Jeremiah, what do you see? 
And he said, this is what I see, God. And God says, you have seen well. So in other words, what God is saying, want you to see something, Jeremiah. Do you see what I want you to see? And then when he repeated it back to God, God says, yep, that's it. You see correctly. And so for us, we've got to begin to paint a picture of what we see our families, our marriages, our homes looking like. If your home is like the walking dead where you're going through the motions, your marriage is just existing, your kids are just cohabitating with you, it doesn't have to be that way. There's supernatural grace to give us this life that he can take that which is dead and make it alive again. And so, just to check up on myself as I was talking with my wife, I just began to have a conversation with her to say, what do you see? for our marriage, our home, our life. And I think guys and girls are different. I think maybe from a guy's perspective, because I know this is me, you're very goal-oriented, success-driven, and so therefore those benchmarks are things that we obtain or get to to bring about fulfillment or satisfaction or completion within us. Women tend to be more emotional, more touchy-feely, and connecting. And so I know how I would define it myself. But then I asked her, I says, if I was to ask you what do you want to see or maybe some areas that you would like to see differently, what would that be? And this is what she said. She said, I would like us to have a closer family unit concerning our marriage, our kids. I would just desire that we were closer But then she said, well, concerning being closer, then that means that we would have to be intentional with time. Remember I said that only 49 minutes out of the day we're being intentional with family? So being intentional with our time. Then she said, you know, I would would say that, you know, in order for us to have the happy children... You've got to have a happy marriage. So she said, I I guess if we were to prioritize it, you know, you work on the marriage, the marriage gets more unified and more uh, connected. And as a result, the kids are more connected. She goes, again, it's just a matter of being intentional with our time. And then she said, you know, I would want our our family to be more uh, uh, focused and intentional just to spend time together as as a family praying and reading the word of God. And, and she said, I, I just believe that that would make a huge difference in our home. Not that it's not there, but saying the more that you do, the more you tap into the grace of God. And then she stopped. And she says, well, I'm saying all these things. She says, but I guess it boils down to this. What I really desire and want and what I'm saying that the picture I really want is to have a God-centered home. That's really what it boils down to. And once again, not that it's not, but you desire to be more so. And so here's my question for you. In order for that grace of God to be available to your marriage, your children, your family, what is driving your home? Are you going through motions or are you slowing down long enough to say, God, we want it to be a God Christ-centered home for us to begin to build the foundation of our home. You might say that's oversimplified. It is not. The Bible says in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things, natural things, shall be added unto you. 
I believe it's Psalms 37 that says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Come on, you can run the chicken with your head cut off, chasing your tail all day long, trying to obtain that right marriage, family structure that you desire, but apart from God, you'll never get there. You'll never have grace, you'll never have the peace, you'll never have the contentment without God. Again, that's overly simplified, but that's the truth. Delight ourselves in the Lord. So again, you've got to see it. Do you see your home being that? If not, how do you correct the change? Well, secondly, we saw with Jeremiah, he says, after you've seen it, he said, you said it. You saw, then you said God's asking, what do you see? He's not asking Jeremiah, what do you see physically, naturally right now? He says, what do you see through the eyes of faith? Because it's real easy to say, well, my marriage is this way, my husband is, uh, my wife, you know, my kids are just, whoa, right? <laughs> it's real easy to say that. But God's saying, what do you see? Do you see what I see? And therefore, if you see it, don't say what is right there in front of you. Say what I say about your marriage. Engage your faith with your words, and that will tap you into the grace or the supernatural help to begin to help in your life. Amen. Romans chapter 4, verse 17, we just saw that. God being the initiator, initiator of that, when it came to Abraham, starting his family, starting his livelihood of being the father of many nations, the Bible says that God called those things that did not exist as though they did. Was he the father of many? No. Had he did yet? No. But God said, this is what I say, or this is what I see, and this is what I say. And then the Bible says, Abraham hooked up with what God said. Amen. Well, if God said it, and if it's good enough for him, I'm going to say what he says. And if I get saying what he says, I'll get what he, he does. Right? So we, again, turn loose the grace of God through saying what we see. Then number three, you've got to act on that very thing. Concerning Abraham, it says, Contrary to hope, in hope believed that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. Contrary to hope, in hope believed. Come on, your family, your home life, your marriage may look hopeless. And God might say, it can turn around, but you're saying, that's contrary to what I see. God says, contrary to hope, in hope or in faith, believe, and you will see that thing come to pass. Now listen, Abraham, the Bible says he never saw what God said until he, had, he was dead. But he continued to act in faith and the Bible says he actually became the father of many nations. So not only does it affect your livelihood right now, but you're affecting future generations. Remember all the statistics that I gave you to begin with? That's because it's been passed on from generation to generation to generation, and it's went from one degeneration, degeneration to the next. But as the family of God, if we will see that our words hooked up with what we can see through God's Word, can change future generations. Your children don't have to go through the hell that you went through because you change it right now. 
Your grandchildren can experience the life of God beyond what your wildest imaginations can be because you choose to make a choice right now to say, God, I'm going to experience the supernatural grace of God in my life right now, and I'm going to pass it on to future generations. My family is no longer going to be the walking dead. Right now, we stop existing, and we start living today. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. I'm just going to wrap up right there for a moment and switch gears. Because everything that we talked about, future generations, the grace of God that's on us, and seeing things change, it's all within our choice, right? And so just as you heard Miss Sharon, she talked about this Tuesday of an election that's coming. Casting your ballot. It makes a difference. I just want to show you something very quickly, and then I'm going to come up and just talk at you for like another minute, and then I'm going to let you go. Chuck, he is with our children's ministry. He works for a television station, and he was in Lansing just a few weeks ago, and he happened to be able to spend time with Franklin Graham. Anybody know who Franklin Graham is? Billy Graham's son. And Franklin Graham had some very strong words that Chuck was able to catch on film. And so here's just a brief snippet of that. I'll be back in just a minute. don't have this freedom. They don't get to vote. We get to vote. And the church's voice needs to be heard, okay? Needs to be heard. This may be the last opportunity we have. The news media wants you to think this is about personalities. They want you to think it's about maybe Donald Trump's taxes. Or they may want you to think this is about Hillary's emails. This has nothing to do with her emails, has nothing to do with his taxes. Here's what this election is all about, ladies and gentlemen. It has everything to do with the Supreme Court. Okay? But the media doesn't want you to think about it or focus on it because in February, whoever the president is, is going to elect or nominate a Supreme Court justice in February. Right now, the court is divided in the middle. And whoever the president is, it's either going to go to the left or it's going to go to the right. And I'm here to tell you, church, beware. Because the next president isn't just going to nominate one. It could be three, four, possibly five. And that would change the course of our nation for the next 50 years or longer. And so, ladies and gentlemen, vote. Go back to your communities. Be an advocate for God's truth, for His righteousness. Let's elect men and women who will lead this nation to back to really being one nation under God that can truthfully say, once again, in God we trust. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming out here today. Thank you for being a part of this. So I just uh, recruited Franklin Graham just to share a little bit this morning. So obviously he's got a little more weight than I do. But listen, this is a big deal. In just a matter of a couple days, we're going to be voting for the next president. And whether you like it or not, it's down to two. That's who we're voting for, right? And so one of them is going to be our president. And whoever it is, God's not going to fall off the throne. 
God's still on the throne and God's plan is still going to come to fruition. And the church is still going to be strong. And we're going to make our voice heard. And as I said before, it's not a matter of God sending revival. It's a matter of the church standing up and saying, we will have revival because it's moving right now. Amen? And so listen, your vote is not based upon natural things. It's really based upon spiritual things. And as you heard, you're not voting on a personality. What you're voting for is a platform. And that platform, for me as a pastor, I'm looking at the personality, but the party or the platform that they represent and which one of them represents my values the best. Not one of them has got the values to the extreme or to, to the extent that I do or what mine are. So then I have to have a choice which one represents my values to the closest. And my values are biblically based. Not who can create jobs, not who can take care of me, but who has the closest biblical values that I do. And therefore, again, based upon that Supreme Court justice that they will elect and put into office, or the multiple ones, will also have a tendency as to where it leans to the left or to the right, or whether it is based upon biblical values or not. And so your vote matters. Now, whoever it is, God's still going to get done what God's got to get done. So the world's not coming to an end. And so here's what I want to do. Can we all stand? I want us to pray for the two candidates. Now, again, this isn't about personality. You might say, I, I, dear God, I won't. About that. Let's pray for him. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray for Hillary Clinton. We pray for Donald Trump right now. In the name of Jesus, we lift them up to you. God, we're not looking at their personalities. We're not looking at just all the lip service. But God, we look at them as people. As people that are going to go to heaven or go to hell. And so, God, we lift them up and we pray for them. God, I pray that the eyes of their understanding would be opened and enlightened. I thank you that you will use whoever is elected to the best of your ability. And, God, we even see through your words you used ungodly kings to bring about godly results. So, God, you're not limited. God, we stand with you and we stand for this United States of America. We'll not give up on it. We'll not continue to, to, to lay down, but we will stand up and we will pray and we will fight. And God, we thank you that you are blessing this nation. So God, we thank you for everyone that is going out to vote, that you speak to their hearts, that you bring a hand of protection upon every individual. And we thank you for moving mightily in this country. In Jesus' name, and we all said, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. You're dismissed. Remember, we have Wednesday night service. Hopefully, we'll see you then. God bless.
subscribe to this podcast and take a look at all of our social media sites, which can be found at our website, gvchurch.tv. We know that today's message has been a blessing to you. Thanks for listening. We are Genesee Valley Church, loving God, loving people, and loving life.